Hey everybody, it's your boy Isaac. Just wanted to let you know that there was some audio issues in this one. We had some recording issues between the three people who were speaking on this, and I made a few rookie mistakes as an audio editor that I should have known better about, but I think overall content-wise, this is a great episode, and in terms of our actual audio quality, you know, we've had worse. So I really hope you enjoyed this one. It's been a long time in the making, despite the technical issues here. I think there's some great content, and yeah, just enjoy the ep. Warning. Tongue and Geek contains heavy spoilers. If you haven't read, watched, or played the content being reviewed this episode, know that we will definitely spoil major plot points. Also, this show isn't for kids. We use words like and and it would take too much time and effort to edit them all out. Please don't tell our moms. Welcome, lovely listeners, to Tongue in Geek, where two more white folks on the internet give their unsolicited opinions on all things geeky. I'm inspirational author and international phenomenon Isaac, and unfortunately, Tyler discovered that he is the chosen one and had to go save the world with Draco Malfoy, Naruto, Spock, and Shadow the Hedgehog. A lot of sexual tension in that group. Anyway, I've once again asked his darling wife, Erica, to step in for him in his absence. Say hi, Erica. Hi, everyone. Fantastic. We are also joined by Tongue and Geek superfan Shadow. Say hello, Shadow. Hello! Spectacular. This episode, instead of doing a regular review, we're going to be having a general discussion about fan fiction. I think maybe a good starting point for this discussion would be to discuss a little bit about our personal backgrounds with fanfic. So, which of you would like to go first on that? Yeah, I guess I can start us off. I don't... I, I, do, I know we don't have a length of time. I mean, it's not too long, but it's just, you know, there's a, a rich history of my introduction into fan fiction. So, yeah, give it to um, us. I can start us off with a nice long tangent about this. Absolutely. That's what I want. <laughs> so I was talking to Erica about this the other day, but I didn't even know that like fan fiction was a thing when I first started writing it. Oh, preaching like, to the choir, sister. Preaching to the choir. <laughs> Because I, I love to write. Like, since I was young, I always enjoyed writing. And one day I was like, well, what if I wrote in this already established universe? This would be fun. I remember, like, two of the first fan fictions I wrote was, of course, Pokemon. Because at the time, I had a crush on Ash before realizing that he's actually <laughs> terrible. <and that's laughs> it's okay. I had a crush on Misty, and it's the same deal. <laughs> And then I had a crush on Brock to like fully round it out, but I didn't. See, at least at least Brock was a semi competent cook, so like he had at least his family. He took care of his family, so you know he had some redeeming qualities. Yeah, that's very good of of all of them. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um. So so yes, that was like one of the first ones I remember, and then this TV series that like almost no one has heard of called Cubics, Robots for Everyone. Oh, fuck. Like, I very I think I remember <laughs> what you're talking about. It was so short-lived. I think 
I was trying to remember if it had one or two seasons, but it was like so briefly on the air. And that was another fan fiction that I had wrote. Um, because I loved like the, that environment and the robots and the action. That, those are like pulling back from that memory. This was between like 1997's when Pokemon came out and then 2001's when Cubix came out. Okay, this was not so, the thing I was thinking of, but I'm loving the terrible CGI that is used oh, for it. Oh, it is so bad. <laughs> it is so bad. I don't know why. I, I actually, I literally have a blanket that I made for this TV series. Like, I drew the robots onto this blanket, and I still have it to this day. This is how hard I stand for this Cubix show. Hell yeah. It's so cute. <laughs> I remember I had to look it up when you told me about it. It looked vaguely familiar, but yeah, it was, I don't think, like, a huge thing. No, it, it really, I don't think it was popular. As I said, I don't know how many seasons it got. Probably only one. And it was during, like, that bet, like, when things were amazing, when you wake up at, like, 6 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, and it was just all cartoons for yeah. hours. Yeah. The best time ever. That was, uh... That was where I discovered Cubix. Childhood. <laughs> so that was when you started and, writing it. Um, yeah, tell yes. us a bit more about how you moved into learning about fan fiction as like a broader thing that already exists. I was trying to remember exactly how I found this out. And I can't remember the name of this website that I used. And I don't even remember how I found this website, but it was mostly... For people writing their own like creative stories, but then like mixed in between, there were there were fan fiction stories, and I was like, "Whoa, other people do this too!" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I wish I could remember the name of that website." Like I've been trying to wrap my brain to remember this, but I haven't. <clears throat> but I do remember that one of the like first fan fictions that I had read was for the TV show Heroes oh. because I I had really liked Siler, which makes sense later on because I it was it was Zachary Quinto that I actually liked <laughs> uh, who later became Spock so it like it all came full circle for me but I remember wanting to read stories involving him and so that was like kind of the fir- my first foray into that and then there was a website called FanLib uh, it, again, was very short-lived, but this site was amazing. They had, like, contests where people would submit, like, fan fiction stories, and you could win prizes, you could collaborate with other people, oh. and it was, like, super fun. It got bought out, and whoever bought it out just, like, closed it and didn't do anything with it. Those early days of the internet were so wild and free. Like, when corporations didn't have everything under their control. It's just mm-hmm. this landscape of people with intense, weird passions putting all this labor into creating, like, spaces for people to share those passions. Yeah, and I think, like, it ended up kind of getting... I guess, I don't know if they bought it to close it down specifically because they're like, oh, this is other people's works of art. Like, you can't, mm-hmm. like, give out prizes and stuff for this. So I don't know if that's, if it was some, like, copyright thing caused it to close down. But, yeah, that was that was a good time when people weren't uh, so crazy. I mean, I understand, like, wanting to protect 
something you created. But I also would understand, like, people love my creation so much that they want to play in it. I'm like, do it. Yeah, we will get into the effect of copyright law and even fandom's perception of copyright law and how it's completely shaped the way fan fiction has been created and shared. Um, that's a big discussion we'll get in further down the road. Um, so when, Shado, did you start sharing fan fiction with people online? What were some of the early things Ooh. you put out? I actually, I think I actually have... Uh, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, like age major, we're talking year. I'm thinking more age. I think this was around, like, 12 years old. So you did start pretty early. I did, yeah. My teens. Uh, I, I joined fanfiction.net in 2008, and I would have been, okay, I was born in 89, so 10, but I've been 20? Yeah, that's no. not right. No, you've been 19. It does? Okay. 19, yeah. 19, okay. The, a lot of the stories that I posted on there were ones that I had started, like, way back. I was actually looking through my biography, and one of the first stories that I posted on here was actually a, a Harry Potter fan fiction. And I was like, I'm sorry if this isn't the best. I wrote this when I was 12. <laughs> so that's how I know that I was 12. Mm-hmm. I talked about that. Because I loved Snape at the time. It was about him having a daughter who goes to Hogwarts. And she's a huge Mary Sue, by the way. Like, they're so <laughs> in love with her. She's half-sister to Harry Potter. And her life is great. That was the very first one. <laughs> <laughs> Shadow, we'll pause on your fanfic journey. I want to hear some from Erica and where she jumped into the fanfic world. Okay, Shadow's is a lot more interesting than mine. Um, I want to hear from both of you. Well, this is an open discussion for all of us. <laughs> nice. So mine started, I guess, when I was 11 was when I first started reading it. Um, and then I first started writing it when I was 14. I never had this kind of like, oh, um, I was already writing things and it turns out that's a thing thing. I just discovered it was something that existed um, randomly by Googling um, <laughs> uh, like, and finding a picture of Harry Potter that was definitely not like a PG picture. <laughs> and, and that is how um, I found out that fan fiction existed and started reading it. I, when I was about 14, I really wanted to start writing more. I think, no, actually I was 13, wasn't I? I was 13. Okay. So yeah, so when I was 13, I wanted to start writing more and I was like, this is a really great way to practice because I've been reading for years and like, it'll help me hone my writing skills and I can get this out there for other people to like, you know comment on and so I started doing that. I think I was about 13 when I wrote my first fan fiction and it was Crackfic. Which is pretty much primarily the only thing I've ever written. Um, And it was a Harry Potter story and I had a couple of those and I even had like some joint stories with one of my friends and then like friends I met online and it was a really nice community and this was all on fanfiction.net which was like very different back in the day. When I was 14, I started this, like, crack Harry Potter fan fiction, um, and basically the premise of it was, like, what if Snape's involved, because there was a point where we all liked <laughs> Snape. 
what if like Snape had to marry Sirius Black as like a way to keep him under his parole? Um, and so I like posted that, and it was again like not not a serious story by any means, but I had a lot of fun with it. Um, and then I wrote a lot of chapters for it, and then I kind of let it go dead. Um, and then when I was about 18 or 19, I was like, oh yeah, that story exists and I should, I should probably finish it just so I can call it done. And then as I was finishing it and posting the chapters and you really get to see how my writing style changed from age 14 to 19, <laughs> fanfiction.net had recently instituted this thing where people could reply to your comments and that hadn't been a feature previously. So people could leave you like flames as they called them, like when they were hating on you or people could leave you like nice <laughs> comments and like you had no way to respond or say anything um but when I was 19 they had just like debuted that and this really nice person started leaving me comments about how much they enjoyed their story and I was able to write back to them for the first time and I did that for a couple people but this person was the first so we just kind of like had a really nice conversation that way and then more than a decade later Shido is now on the pod because that person was Shido it's such a story that you all yeah that's so adorable yeah. yeah so we met that way when I was like 19 um, and we just realized like how much we had in common and then like Shido was one of my absolute closest friends so it was really amazing to be able to take that starting with fandom and like translate it to real life um, and then we realized all the other fandoms we had in common that weren't just Harry Potter like Star Trek and God knows Star Trek has some real deep roots in fan fiction also yeah. so yeah, I have I haven't really written much, but what I did write um, netted me great yield because I, I got to meet Shadow. <laughs> I've discussed my personal history. I think back in the Sonic the Hedgehog review, when I was very young, like elementary school, I would walk around with my best friend on the playground and all we did every day was just act out what was essentially fanfic. I was, like, one year was Lilo and Stitch from, like, the Lilo and Stitch TV show with, like, all the extra different kinds of aliens in there. We would make up new ones and whatnot. Uh, we did Pokemon. We did Marvel. Uh, the one that we did longest, we did for like three years straight with Sonic the Hedgehog. But I would just walk around with my best buddy and make up all these stories. We never wrote them down. We were just like living them out on the playground as we played. We were LARPing. Yeah, basically LARPing fanfic, which is wild. And I, at this point, I didn't know that this was a thing that people did. I mean, it's just what me and my friend did because that was how we had fun. Then in middle school, I, I was like, you know what? I really love making up stories. I really should write them down so I have like a record of them so I can, you know, share them with the world and everything. And I was so determined in middle school to like start being original and start, you know, creating my, my own original works. But all I was doing was making fanfic and like changing the <laughs> names of things. So like the first one I wrote, and I still have these, by the way, they're both awful. Um, the first one I wrote was this big, long knockoff that was basically a mix of Planet Hulk and X-Men. <laughs> like, it was just this big, long knockoff of that that I never actually finished the story of. I just got... I, it was huge. It was, like, over 100,000 words, but it, like, wow. never resolved. <laughs> and I had, like, two drafts of it, too. That wasn't just, like, one draft. I did it twice. <laughs> I never resolved the story. But then the second one that I started on was an Avatar of the Last Airbender knockoff. And, all, like I said, all I did was change like 
the terms of things. Like, instead of benders from Avatar, I called them shifters. It was so lazy the way that I was trying to, like, distance myself from the fandom to pretend that what I was doing was original. Because I had it in my head that, like, real writing had to be something original. And you had to distance yourself from just playing in this world like I did when I was younger. I took a long break from creative writing throughout my later part of high school and college just because I was an English major and I did so much reading and writing like papers and whatnot. It was just exhausting to write anymore on top of that, which is a shame. It really burned me out on writing as like a passion project, uh, the way school did it for me. But once I got out of college back in 2020, when the pandemic hit, I picked fan fiction back up because I was like, you know what? I'm never going to publish this. I might not even post it online, but I'm, you know, I'm stuck in the house. I have nothing to do. I've been playing these video games over and over. I'm going to start writing about these video games because I love them and the stories are great and the characters are great and I want to start doing something with them. So I started first with Persona five years later, which was a fanfic, a future fanfic of Persona five. I wrote maybe seven or eight chapters of it. And then I kind of was like, eh, you know, I'm bored. I'm going to move over to something else. I did Mass Affection, credit to Erica there on the name, <laughs> uh, which was a short-lived Mass Effect fanfic of Garrus, Shepard, and Tali in, in like a triad. Got through the sex scene, and I had like this big story planned out. I'm like, eh, I did the sex scene. I think I'm actually done. <laughs> So, <laughs> so I, I dropped that one as you do, but then like later Persona was sort of nagging in my mind again. I'm like, let's pick that one up, see if it becomes something. So cut to like early 2022, I finished Persona five years later at 200,000 plus words. And I'm like, oh, I did something. I've got all these people like commenting on this on archive of our own and everything. And like, I've created a story people like other people are making spinoffs of this. Now their own fanfic of my fanfic, like fanfic is cool. <laughs> um, so <laughs> as far as actually getting into the fanfic community and sort of like engaging with others, I'm very new to this. That's so interesting. We all have such different backgrounds. Yeah. Because like, I've, I've, I've done it forever, but just I never really accepted it. And I'm kind of glad I didn't because my early shit was really bad. I'm really glad it's not like out there in the ether. Yeah. I think it's really interesting how you and Shido both came at it from a kind of place where it's like you had ideas and you had creativity and you wanted to share it. Whereas like mine came from like the whole reason I was Googling Harry Potter that day was not to find risky pictures of him. It's because the <laughs> Harry Potter movies were not finished yet. The books were not finished yet. And I wanted to see like more info. And I remember in like I guess it would have been like 2004 or something, like looking up uh, Pirates of the Caribbean fan fiction because there weren't sequels yet. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see like, what do other people think? I've always wanted to see what other people think. Yeah. And I'm just like, eh. <laughs> yeah. I, I have ideas, but I don't know that I'll get them out unless it's for humor. Uh, so <laughs> I cut you off earlier. Do you have anything more about your personal history you want to say now before we start moving into some of the specific topics we're going to discuss. A lot of what I, I wrote down uh, we'll probably discuss like later on. So I don't think there's anything too particular that I need to talk about now because I'm sure I'll be able to bring it up later. So so yeah, I think I think we're good to, to move on. Okay, cool. 
So fan fiction as sort of a term is kind of contested in the way it's been used because there was a point where fan fiction specifically referred to just fiction created by fans. It wasn't actually about content that already exists on like pre-existing stories and whatnot and riffing off of that. It was more like these booklets and stuff that amateur writers who were fans of larger uh, franchises would write and then share their own works. So it's interesting how fan fiction as a concept has sort of evolved. I've got a couple, I've read some uh, articles and books and stuff on fan fiction and sort of its history just to prepare for this one because this has been like a long time coming. Me and Erica have discussed it for a while. I've got a definition of fan fiction from Ron Hogan that I want to share because it's a really cool idea and I think it captures the idea perfectly. Um, Ron Hogan said, it can start when we treat the stories we grow up with not just as text to be read or movies or programs to be watched, but as toys with which we can play. And I think that's a great understanding of fan fiction. It's not just us seeing a pre-existing story and engaging with it as just a narrative. It's like looking at that and reshaping it and molding it and playing with it uh, in our own ways. It really ties into what we were talking about before about it being like a training ground for writers because you, you get to experiment with different writing styles and different techniques and like a different, you know, developing your voice and building a community of having readers or people in real life who support you. And you get to do that in a very safe initial way by, like you said, just playing with like, you know, you don't have to worry so much about character building and some of the like a world building and doing that heavy lift. Yeah, because the characters already exist. The world already exists. You get to put your own mm-hmm. spin on it. You don't have to create something from scratch. You can take what's there and reshape it to your own locking. Yep. And just to answer that like ultimate question of what if. Yes. What if this happened? Yeah, all fanfic is just based on that one question. What if? It's mm-hmm. the best question. And usually the answer is, what if it horny? <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, yes. Yeah, there is definitely a long-running history of sexuality tied to fanfic that is fascinating. I will say it's really cool with fanfic how, and this is what I really love and also kind of don't like about it as a writer of fanfic, there's an awaiting audience. There's already people out there who want more of the content that exists, of the same fandoms that you're a fan of. They want to see more of it. They want to read more stuff. So they're waiting for you to just put it out there. But on the flip side, it limits the audience that you have to those familiar and fond with the source material. Because I have, on numerous occasions, been sat, I've sat down and I'm writing something. I'm like, damn, this is good. I really wish I could show it to Erica. But she doesn't give a <laughs> shit about Persona. <laughs> and I'm not going to... There's no way I'm going to make her sit through hundreds of hours of gameplay so that she can get the context for reading my fan fiction. So, yeah, I never thought about it in that way, but it's true, especially for things that are like big franchises like Persona, like how I've scoured the wiki trying to wrap my head around any of this. Mm-hmm. And especially not being a gamer, I, I know that you're right, that I won't be able to play all of that like information that I would need to really understand what you're saying, even though you've, you can give someone an overview. It's not the same. It's like not they the do same, have to be like no. pretty, they do have to be pretty like, I never really thought about it that way, but they have to have like put, they got, it's kind of like, 
almost like what in education they call a flipped classroom. You need to have done your homework first yeah. before you even show up. Yeah. And that's kind of how it is with fan fiction. You have to have already done the reading, done the gaming. <laughs> exactly. Before you come to the table. I never thought about it like that. That's true. It's a weird balance of, oh, I've got people who are already interested in what I'm making, but... I'm never going to get past them. You know, I'm never going to reach Mm -hmm. out beyond that. There are some fics that have managed that. The ones that have, like, been turned into big monetizable things. And we'll get into, like, monetization of fanfic. um, That have sort of become gateway fics into fandom. But, like, for the most part, fanfic is limited to people who share the fandom. Like, you're not going to reach fans outside of your fandom for these stories. Yeah, that is what we seek out too. Like, like Erica was saying, we were waiting for Harry Potter to come out. We were waiting for Pirates of the Caribbean to come out. So we're seeking that specific fandom. So we're not going to go on like fanfiction.net and just spin, you know, a will and be like, yes, this is what I'm going to read. We specifically want the thing that we want. So if you're not in that fandom, you're not going to be going looking for stories for something you don't know. I was just going to say, and it's pretty, like, topical, too, I think, because, like, especially things like the Marvel franchise, like, the increase in fan fiction and readership will spike with every new movie. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, every time, it's like, there's, oh, there's more, there's more world building now, there's more fuel for me to take that. Um, you know, now, now Loki got put in a gag, well, we immediately need to go write a story <laughs> about it. Um, like it just, yeah. So it's like, it's interesting that it's like the, and as the source material grows, readership does, but that does ebb and flow also. Yeah. And the way that fanfic has become categorized, I don't know about fanfiction.net in particular, but the way that archive of our own is set up, there are so many tags that you can establish, like the way that you can categorize your fic as, oh, this is angst or, oh, this is fluff or, oh, this is crack however you want to categorize your fic, people are out there not just looking for a specific fandom, but looking for a specific tag within a specific fandom or Mm -hmm. a specific pairing within a specific fandom, and they might not even give your fic the time of day if you don't match the tags or pairings that they're looking for. And they have the ability to hide different tags as well, so they can say, I don't want to see Slow Burn, and then they'll never see your fic because they ask that to be excluded. Yeah. I would say that's one of my favorite things that was added was being able to exclude certain types of fic because I am one of those people that I do not prefer, (laughs) uh, like the Alpha Omega tags. Thank you, Supernatural, for just infiltrating the entirety of <laughs> fandom. Yes, no, same. I'm just like, I don't want this. And, like, every like every other story is, like, that Alpha Omega or uh, alternate universe, which, if it's, like, alternate in that, like, something different happened, then I'm okay with that. But I'm not into, like, oh... Sam and Dean own a coffee shop. Like, that's not for me. But there's someone out there who likes it. But the fact that they've created this to be like, I'm not into that. I can look for what I specifically want was very uh, exciting when I saw that they added that to I'm pretty sure it's on Fanfic and uh, AO3. Oh, that's cool. What about, I wonder about Wattpad, because that's like, those are the top three. Yeah. It's Archive of Our Own, Fanfiction.net, and Wattpad. Uh, a question I wanted to propose, and this is a great jumping point for Shadow, the sort of pull and push between 
matching the canon or getting elements of the canon right and telling your own story or changing the elements you want in fan fiction. Because there are some fanfics out there that go so hard at like completely getting all of the details correct in the canon, making sure that everything's right. This is like a continuation of the story or an extension of it. And then there are some that say, fuck the canon. I'm going to tell my own story. These characters are going to be barely recognizable from what you know in the canon. This is a completely different thing with my own story. And it's like the faintest recognition of the elements that you know from the canon. So that's sort of this weird push and pull that comes in fanfic. Like you've got both extremes and then you've got people in the middle who are sort of like transforming the stories to match their own interests. Mm-hmm. That That is kind of how it is. And I can, you know, you can kind of understand that to an extent because they, they want to play in that universe, but they kind of want to do it their own way. Mm-hmm. So they're like, this is how I'm going to make the characters. This is how I'm going to make the story because I like, these people, I like this universe, but I want to do it my way. <laughs> yeah, and some people want but, to, like, fix canon. There's, like, elements of canon they don't yes. like. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't like this story element, or I don't like this happening, or I don't like this pairing, and they're like, fuck that, we're gonna fix it. Yep. Um, yeah, I like how we gotta fix it stories for sad books and movies. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of fixing sad endings. <laughs> so, Shadows, you seem to sort of be on the preference of you don't like it when it distances itself too much from the source material. Like when it goes full on like coffee shop or whatever it does. <laughs> like you sort of you, you sort of like stories that are a little more trying to match the canon. Yeah, and it it doesn't have to be like specifically match. It's mostly just when they take them out of the universe. Like or when they oh, now they met in college instead of meeting here, or they met as kids and they were childhood friends. So I'd like it to be pretty close, but if there's like a like a canon divergence where, again, this character doesn't die, so now they're in there, that is like, it does change the story, but it's still, everything's still happening the same way that it did, except for that character is alive now. So like up so, to a point, you like, you like the story yes. to diverge at a point instead of being completely altered. Yes. Okay, how about you, Erica? How do you feel on it? I feel like I I feel mostly the same as Shadow does. I feel like I've gotten a little less stringent about it in years past, um, just because I have. I feel like a lot of the way that I a lot of the way that I read fic is not through. I don't think I've often sat down and gone to archive of our own and just searched for something. I have an account, um, and I don't even really bookmark things or read things through my account. I mostly used it to like Mass Affection that Isaac wrote and other (laughs) stuff like that. Um, I mostly find things through Reckless that other people will put together. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, because I have a pretty good group of people like within my fandom so I trust them and the things that, that they've written and I have like a couple discord communities um, and things like that and then I also um, sometimes people will just like chatting about it and say oh well you like this one what about this one so anyway my point is I don't, I don't often go out and search for it so I'm not usually looking for specific things and there have been times where people I've trusted have been like hey listen this one is alternate universe and it 
it really shouldn't make sense that this is good, but it actually is. Give it a try. And I've read it and I'm like, mm, they're 100% right. Like, that was fantastic. <laughs> um, I read this one really notable fan fiction where it took the Avengers, but it, it wasn't in any way supernatural. There were, like, no demigods. Like, Thor didn't have power. And it reimagined it into the zombie apocalypse. And it works so well. They're all just regular, normal mortals in the zombie apocalypse. And on the service level, it's like, that sounds so cliche and stupid. But the writer is so good that they made it work. So I feel like stories like that have allowed me to, like, be like, okay, yeah. But like Shadow, I'm more interested in, like, oh, okay, well, what would have happened if they had done this? Or what would have happened if they didn't do that? Or what would have happened if, like, Lucius Malfoy had showed up when Harry was a baby and picked him up from the Dursleys instead of Hagrid? Like, you know, like, you know, just, like, there's so many opportunities that already exist in the fandom to see how things evolve that I, I mostly like that. But I have been proven wrong a couple times where I'm just like, oh, these guys do own a coffee shop and it's actually interesting. I like it. And there's good character building. Yeah. I will say with AU, it's fascinating how far people are willing to push sort of away from the canon before they sort of realize that like, hey, I've created my own original story here. Like this, this is only connected in name only at this point and the vague archetypes that, like, I used to establish this, I can create my own stories out of that. Like, that's how we got things like Fifty Shades of Grey and whatnot. Mm-hmm. They originally started as, like, Twilight fan fiction, but it was so pushed beyond the limits of the original context that the writer mm-hmm. was like, I can just make this into its own story and monetize it as, like, my own original thing. Um, I, yeah, it, it is very much like, I wouldn't say she pushed it that far. It's just a very simple AU of what if, like, Edward were a rich guy. But that is what Snow Queen's Ice Dragon, a.k.a. E.L. James, did do. <laughs> that is her moniker. And then, wildly, Stephanie Mayer just doesn't know enough about copyright to be able to do anything about it. Well, there's... She was just like, it's fine. Yeah, I mean, there is, like, a murky gray area, but people have been fined. People have been forced to take their fan fiction down. Like, people have been... Yeah, people have, like, published books that have then had to be, like, taken back, especially Mm self-publishing. Joanne Rowling is, like, the queen of that. There was... A period, a dark age, sort of, for fan fiction, I think in the early thousands, where corporations would just tear down entire, like, fanfic sites. Huge Mm -hmm. archives of fanfics were just lost, completely gone. Surprisingly, that sort of corporate influence on fanfic has very much been slacked, like, pulled back in recent years. Like in, in other terms, like in other areas where like people may create, you know, if they extend fanfic into like fan products, like fan art or even fan movies and such, there may be more pushback. But in terms of the fan fiction itself, that sort of has like slackened to where the corporations are much more lax about it. But there still seems to be this ongoing fear within fandom itself of bringing that sort of legal action down on fandom again. And in some ways... Fans are more stringent about what can and cannot be published or monetized than the actual corporations themselves because they fear that retribution. They fear 
bringing that sort of like corporate power down on them. So you'll have mm-hmm. fans fighting within, like, there are strict sides in this sort of age of where people can make their fanfic into their own stories and sell them and whatnot. And then there are other people who are like, you can't do that. You're going to tear down the communities that we've built. And also you're sort of monetizing on a story that was created with the help of fellow fans. You know, this wasn't born just from your mind. This was born from collaboration and feedback in your the comment sections and whatnot. Yeah, the monetization of fanfic and the sort of weird impact of copyright law is this huge ongoing thing that's gone back and forth in all sorts of ways throughout fanfic's history. I think that's really true because I think that like writers like E.L. James and Cassandra Clare have a lot of respect in, well, maybe not a lot of respect, but have respect in the literary world. Mm-hmm. But in the fandom world, there's absolutely no respect for people like Cassandra Clare, who took their Harry Potter fan fiction and made moral instruments. People like E.L. James, who took her fan fiction she wrote as Snow Queen's Ice Dragon and turned into Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, people within fandom communities, like, do believe that, you know, being a fan creator, like that is work and that is labor. And it's not that you don't deserve to be compensated, but you put this out there for free, ripped it off the internet, told people they could no longer have their own copies and then copy and paste it names, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like justifiable disrespect. <laughs> I was just at like Barnes and Noble. I swear I saw a brand new book by Cassandra Clare that's still in the Mortal Instruments series and it's like mm-hmm. you you literally can't come up with your own ideas. You have to keep just writing in the same exact universe because this is all you have. Mm-hmm. Like she's never tried to branch out. No, and do, like, she hasn't. And, and they were bestsellers and she got like a film and TV franchise out of it. Mm-hmm. So I guess she has no incentive to do that. Um, I don't think there's, I haven't read anything by Rainbow Rowell, but I don't feel like there's as much of that hate for Rainbow Rowell, although there may be some because her, like her protagonists like are pretty blatant, like with her books, Fangirl and Carry On, those are her big ones, like where her writers will write fan fiction series. Um, but she has a book, Carry On, that's just basically taking the Harry Potter universe and then adds, um, like, queer elements to it. There was... Do you all remember Kindle Worlds from Amazon? Kind of. That sounds so familiar. Okay, so back in 2013, Amazon released this publishing service called Kindle Worlds, and the purpose of it was to create a commercial venue for fan fiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Like, Mm -hmm. basically, you would publish fan fiction stories to this service and you would get like up to 35% of the net sales for stories of like 10,000 words or more or 20% for like anything below that. So you had to like basically you had this huge corporation monetizing on fan fiction and turning fanfic writers into pseudo legit writers but also profiting off of theirs by you know, being like, hey, we're going to take a big chunk of your profits out of this because what you write isn't original enough for you to get all the profits on it. So, like, yeah, monetization has been such a weird facet of the fanfic community because I- I'm of the mind that copyright as it currently is, 
is extremely limiting to storytelling as a cultural facet of the human experience. Copyright is so narrowing of only these people have these rights to tell these stories, when throughout all of history, storytelling has literally been passing on characters and stories back and forth between different people and cultures. For example, Arthurian legend, all the stories of King Arthur, Lancelot, mm-hmm. one of the most famous of the Knights of the Round Table, was added to the myth by like a Frenchman 300 years after the earliest legends of Arthur. <laughs> He's literally like a self-insert character for that. Then you've got things like Paradise Lost and like, Dante's Inferno that are all like Bible mm-hmm. fanfic. All of these stories have done so much from taking these pre-established worlds and stories and characters and whatnot and building on them and transforming them and changing them. Suddenly, in the past couple hundred years, we decided we can't do that anymore because people own stories now. Like, I want people to profit off their stories. I want people to be able to make a living off of it. But the way that copyright works in the modern age, it's not for individuals to profit. It's for multi-billion dollar corporations to profit off of stories. Yeah. And it, like, when you really think about it, everything is technically a fan fiction. Like, yes. just with Guardians of the Galaxy coming out, that is just James Gunn's fan fiction of the Marvel comics. Yes, absolutely. But it's okay yeah, when wasn't there that, it. <laughs> Yeah. Wasn't there that thing, I can't remember the exact quote, but I always liked what Stan Lee said, because I read it in an interview where he was just like, I think that, like, Peter Parker's with Mary Jane, but that's just, like, my opinion. Like, you may have a completely different vision for him of who he's supposed to be with or what he's supposed to do with his life, and that is just as valid as mine. Yeah. There's this worship of canon, especially in online communities, that is very frustrating because the idea of canon literally being something sacred when when fans treat canon in the same way that like catholics treat canon like it's literally like (laughs) this is sacred you cannot vary from this you cannot break these tenets or you are not a true fan like that's so stupid stories are meant to be transformed and changed in weird and exciting ways that's how we get new stories because We've used the same old tropes over and over and over again. The only thing that varies is in the telling. So, like, the fact that we have limited who can tell what stories so much in our modern era of everything has to be monetized, it really pisses me off. Because in my ideal world, fanfic would just be, it would just be fiction. Every story would just be open for more people to create more stories. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool how, I don't know what the word is, if it's like some of this stuff is intersectional or what we would call it, but I think it's so interesting how there are, like how we have tropes and that that's Mm -hmm. something that you can see across like fandom. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really neat because it really shows how fan fiction has been around like for literal decades and so much of like what we think of 
in modern fan fiction we owe to Star Trek. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, like, the fact that it's Star Trek just makes me so happy because, like, it was the 1960s, people didn't have the internet, they had fanzines, like, they didn't have <laughs> queer representation, like, they didn't have, like, pretty much anything, and they were still able to share their work self-publish, circulate them within, like, fan communities, like, connect with other people, share their love of a show, develop a fandom, like, develop a network. They really invented pretty much everything. Like, they invented Mary Sue's. That literally <laughs> comes from, a like, a fan fiction story called A Trekkie's Tale from 1974. They invented Slash... In the 70s, like, they invented Fix-It. They invented alternate universes. They even invented Fuck or Die. Because <laughs> literally just canonical Star Trek, which would be when Spock goes through Pond yeah. Bar. Uh, so, like, like pretty much everything you can think of, it's just so cool to see how it had those roots, like, pre-internet. Yet we still see those things across, you know, the entirety of, like, fandom. Like, things like crossovers, things like alternate universe, things like Hurt Comfort, like, mm -hmm. Kid Fic, Slow Burn, Enemies to Lovers. It's just really cool to see how that you see, you, like, and that's how we're able to have, like, a robust tagging system that wouldn't have been... <laughs> you know, possible back back um, in the early internet, let alone before we were even doing this digitally. It's just really cool to see how the, those different influences can be seen across other fandoms over the years, and also how the fandom as we know it probably, it would not be the way it is, obviously, without technology, but also without Harry Potter. It's, it's so mm -hmm. interesting that Harry Potter, in addition to inspiring, like, generations of readers, also really, like, played a hugely significant role in the development of modern fan fiction. Because if you look at fanfiction.net, like, at least as of last week when I was making my notes, there are over 800,000 Harry Potter stories. Archive of Our Own, which is more recent, has, like, 280,000. That's not even, like, counting things like the fan art that I encountered or, like, the fan videos that exist on YouTube or all the other different things that people are doing now, like, um, pod fix. And it's just crazy to see, like, how that kind of, like, became its own subculture. Yeah. Fan fiction's history is fascinating because probably the earliest form of fan fiction, as we sort of think of it today would be with, like, Sherlock Holmes, because they yes. were fans that were, like, right into the author and tell him, like, that, what they loved about his stories, what they hated about his stories. They would propose their own variations on the stories and whatnot. But like you said, with Star Trek, there was this movement with Star Trek from where fan fiction was all about literature into fan fiction being about mass media, which created this division between the canon, the canon being like now in television format, and the fan content, which was all being done still in the form of prose. Um, so there was now this divide on between what the fandom was fixated on and the creations of the fandom because the fans couldn't afford to create on the same scale as like Star Trek. They couldn't make their own television series, but they could start writing fanfic. Like you said, so many of the tropes that we know today started with Star Trek. Um, there was this large focus 
on long-term, complex, and often gay relationships uh, in fanfics. This was the first recorded area of fandom where women were like the majority of people putting out this content. Fanfic is such a female-dominated area of fandom, and it's one of the few areas where that's still prevalent. Because... Fandom has so long been dominated by just the male idea of obsession over these things, but fanfic has always been female dominated. Mm-hmm. Star Trek in general has kind of, like they people like to say that it's it was more focused for like male viewers, but women were the ones who saved Star Trek. Lucille Ball <laughs> saved Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah, it's interesting when you look into the history of stuff and realize, like, the women had a big hand in a lot of things that you you were never told about. And fan fiction is definitely one of those as well. And, and like you said, it saved Star Trek because the creators realized what the fans were fixated on was, like, the dynamics between the characters, specifically Kirk and Spock. So they started mm-hmm. altering the show to focus more on those dynamics. Yep. You mentioned, Erica, with Harry Potter and how it became... Harry Potter was what I would say probably was the first mega fandom. Like, this sudden burst. The internet had come out. Like, there were other fandoms like Twin Peaks and X-Files, early internet fandom stuff where people were starting to put their fanfics online. They were starting to do things, but it was still very proto-internet age where there weren't huge sites for these sort of things yet. Fanfiction.net was actually originally an X-Files site. Mm -hmm, Yeah. But with Harry Potter, the internet had become established enough to where enough people were using it that we could start spreading these sort of ideas like wildfire. So it went from like a few hundred or a few thousand people writing fanfiction to hundreds of thousands of fics and dozens of archive sites and fandoms that were big enough to influence mass culture and entertainment industries on their own. Like, the popularity of Harry Potter created this explosion of young adult fiction because people were like, not only is Harry Potter successful, but people love making stories about young adult fiction like this. We need to start monetizing on this by creating our own stories. Or, heck, some of those fan writers went on to create their own stories. It also started these massive ship wars. Like, this was when shipping (laughs) really hit the scene as, like, my pairing versus your pairing, which also comes with sort of discussions of underage sexuality because most of the characters in Harry Potter are children. Harry Potter sort of started establishing the ways that fanfic functions in an internet age. Yeah, it absolutely did. Yeah, that's... I think it also probably... Oh, sorry. Go there, go. I was going to say, I think if, like, you think about it, it probably spawned a lot of people reading fanfiction in general because it just got more people reading. Like, so there are probably people who, because they read a Harry Potter book, got interested in reading, and then maybe they're really into Star Wars, and they decided, like, I'm going to read an alternate universe fanfiction where Anakin Skywalker never turned to the dark side. And that's not them reading a Harry Potter fanfiction, but they are reading... Because of Harry Potter. And that's just also wild what an influence it had just across the board. Yeah, and I was I was just mostly gonna comment that like yeah, Harry Potter really I feel like changed a lot of 
a lot of things like that made reading popular again, like more than I'd ever seen, like people reading and people of all ages reading. Everybody was just so involved in this universe. And I remember like discovering Harry Potter fan fiction and then hearing, of course, that uh, Joanne didn't really approve of fan fiction and she really didn't approve of how how would I say it mature fan fiction that she was very against that and yeah it's just like once it becomes the fans something the fans want to do like you don't really have a big say in how they in how they want to be involved in in your stories I mean, what's weird, though, is I believe legally she could have stopped it because big writers like Anne Rice, even, they've said no one can write story. No one can write fan fiction about my books. So you can't write Anne Rice fan fiction and publish it on the Internet. I mean, again, I think they probably care a lot less now, especially now that Anne Rice has passed away. But that was a thing. And you had to be really sneaky if you wanted Anne Rice fan fiction, which is something that I at one point in my life did actually somewhat care about. So she technically could have done something, but I think was smart enough to realize it would not be in her best interest to do so, which is very ironic considering she seems to not have any idea what's in her best interest anymore. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, but it, uh, she's also made jokes and said like, oh, if only, um, only if I had only had Harry playing with a different wand, think about how much more money I could have made. Uh, she's the most financially successful author of all time. How much more money does she want? Mm-hmm. She needs it all. (laughs) All of it. Harry Potter established this sort of way that internet fandom interacts now, specifically with fan fiction. Uh, And what's fascinating moving away from Harry Potter was Twilight, because that was the next big story that sort of became the fan fiction boom. And what Twilight did for fanfic was that it brought in a lot of people who didn't describe themselves as fans into creating fan content of Twilight. There were a lot of people who were sort of like closeted Twilight fans or fans of Twilight who didn't want to really express that they were as obsessed with it as other fans were of other fandoms. Um, And in doing so, there was this large-scale movement away from the reverence for canon. Because a lot of the fanfic writers for Twilight were like, we don't like these elements of the stories. Like, we like these stories. I mean, we kind of like these stories. We don't want to admit we like them, but we do. But we don't like these elements of them that people always call out and criticize. Let's change them entirely. So Twilight sort of shifted us into this age of AUs. Like, AUs had existed before it, obviously, but suddenly there was this boom of, like, the canon is dead. We can make whatever we want from Twilight. Fix whatever elements you want. Put them in whatever worlds you want. Change every facet of the story to be whatever you want it to be. And we got this new age where, like, non-fans, or people who at least describe themselves as non-fans, were creating fan content in a way where it's suddenly not about the love of the source material. It's about getting inspired by the source material to create your own stuff, sometimes out of spite for the original material. Yeah. It's very well said. Sorry, I've, I've been reading. I'll go ahead and uh, 
give my recommendation for if you want to know more about the history of fan fiction and Jameson's fic, why fan fiction is taking over the world. Gave me a lot of introspection on like the history of fanfic, how it's moved, how it's changed. That was where I did a lot of my research here. I was definitely definitely a lot more prepared. I was just like, ah, I just need to come into this with my history and like let's talk about the fanfic. You're doing great. I and, love uh, this. And so yeah, it's a, it's actually really interesting to hear all the research that you've done and like thoughts that you've had because I'm like, huh, I never thought about it like that. Erica can attest, anytime I get obsessed with something, I get in deep. It's <laughs> <laughs> nice, though. Uh, we're at 300,000 plus words of Persona fanfic. <laughs> and still going! Still going! Why? <laughs> uh, let's, let's, uh, Wild. Let's take a break from this sort of history of fanfic, this sort of broader conversation. Move back into sort of our personal discussions. Um... I want to hear from you all. Tell me about one of your fix and what it was sort of like the process of writing it. Like, what did it mean to you to write these stories? So, I do have, like, an actual favorite fic of mine that I wrote. And it's it's kind of surprising because I'm not... I was only into Supernatural for, like, the first five seasons. I kind of fell away from it because I just, after the, after the fifth season, I just could not get into it anymore. And then I just stopped overall. But I got this really random, like, I don't even know how it happened. I don't even think I was in the fandom anymore. But this story idea for Supernatural, and I was like, this is such a, an interesting idea. Like, I kind of went through, even though there's, like, so many stories, you can't get through all of them. Um, but I kind of went through to make sure that, like, nobody else had this similar idea. It was basically, like, because I had stopped in, um, in season five, it was kind of when the angels and stuff were popular. Mm-hmm. So I had got this idea, like, when they're saying that the apocalypse had begun, but, like, nothing was actually happening on Earth. Like, no demons had come or anything. And then they find out that all of the angels have been infected by this disease that is going to kill every single angel. And that's what the demons were waiting for, was for the angels to die so that they could infect the earth. Writing this story, I would say, is one of my favorite times writing a fan fiction story because it felt like I was writing, like, my own story because I was using the characters, but this was, like, a, a complete and wholly, like, different... Like, this was my, like, full idea. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was, like, I was really proud of it. And um, this is one of the ones that I actually posted on on my uh, fanfiction.net. It actually got some decent comments and stuff. Like, for me, that was my favorite time writing fanfiction, was writing a supernatural story. And it wasn't even a fandom I was that, all that involved in. <laughs> There's something for getting hooked on a specific idea because what I love about fan fiction is that it's all based on the notion of taking a preconceived thing that you love or may not even love but just generally like and having those ideas sort of change with your own view of the world we all love stories of one form or another but we all have very different ways of interpreting them and creating them and once you find an element of a story world that you love that's 
maybe not been explored to its full extent or uh, explored in the way that you want to, and you learn how to flesh that out, that's where I think the really great fanfics come from. Because it's suddenly it's not just, oh, what if we did these characters, but in different thing. Now it's like, oh, we're taking a concept that was here and developing it into something entirely new. That was like when I was at like the peak of writing and most of the fan fictions that I did write were uh, like original characters that I like shoved into other stories. So the fact that I was writing with like Dean and Sam's voice, I don't know, I really enjoyed that part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, fanfic is great for learning character voice because creating a unique style of speech and personality for a character is so difficult to do from scratch. And fanfic is like, here, you already know these characters. You already like them. Just imitate them and you'll start to learn what things you have to do to make a character stand out apart from others. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything insightful to add, but I agree. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have any favorite fix that you wrote? Well, I've only written two, Mm -hmm. and I don't know that the second one even counts if I had two chapters. Um, I've written, if we're talking like, yeah, if we're talking like actual books like that are not fan fiction it's really funny that i've written three and then i've written two fan fictions i don't really count the other one because it was only like three thousand words it's just a couple chapters but the one where i met shido it was about fifty thousand words so i guess that's like novella length um it has 199 comments i'm so close to 200 let's see it has 18 chapters um what i really enjoyed most about writing it was just i I love I love that sensation where you're so fully immersed in a story and you have so many ideas and you keep jotting them down and you're just like like when I've written um like my books when you're when you're brainstorming things and then things just come to you like you have to wake up in the middle of the night and write something yes. down because you're just like oh yeah I love that <laughs> like that's that's my favorite part is when you're just really in the zone and it feels like it flows there was a point with my fan fiction where I wrote a chapter every day yeah. And it just felt so good to be like, I have so much in like that, all these like jokes and all these like things like that I want to add to this like parody. And it's just all like just flowing from my fingertips that I can just bang this out. And it was just really fun. I have a lot of fond memories of writing it because I wrote it um, mostly over the summer um, again when I was like 14. And it was just really nice to be able to like have a little notebook where I would scribble down the things as they would occur to me and then putting the chapters up and then people being like, oh, the chapter's here and like, oh, oh I would have done this or like, oh, maybe next time you can do that or oh, I really love this. This part was hilarious. Like, it's just fun. There's just a lot of fun. That's it's a, a good headspace to be in. That's a great point on two fronts. Um, I love when you catch the muse and you can just, like mm-hmm. the words just flow from you. Like, that's not even just fanfic, but just writing in general. That feeling of, like, I just have this story flowing out of me, and I don't even have to really... Like, I am putting in the effort to craft it into something well-structured and whatnot, but the story itself is just coming to me. Like, that is such a perfect feeling. But also what you mentioned about engagement, Erica, because fanfiction is fascinating in that a lot of the time, not always, but uh, most of the time, I would say... Uh, it's released periodically, however often 
the uh, writer wants to release a new chapter, especially in longer form ones. Um, so what you get is a story that is being released as, or people are reading it as it's coming out, and the author is getting feedback as it's being released, and that can sort of shape the story as it goes. Because um, I know when I was writing Persona five years later, that took me like a good two years to put together, and I was releasing chapter to chapter, and I would get feedback on my chapters. People would tell me what elements they liked, what they thought was going to happen next, what I had, what was going on in the story, and I had everything laid out. But there were moments where I would read a comment, look at it, and think, actually, that's a lot better than what I had planned. I'm stealing that. (laughs) (laughs) Which is why fan fiction writing is almost this sort of collaborative experience between all of the people Mm -hmm. engaged. It's not just a single person sitting down to write something. It's a fandom sort of coming together to share in their love for something. And as you release it in pieces you get that feedback from people and you're like, huh, you know, I like that idea that they have, or maybe I can tweak this to match this thing that everybody's thinking is going to happen. You can sort of put parts together as you realize what works and what doesn't. Yeah, that is really true. I will say what I've really enjoyed about fan fiction is finding elements in the original canon that I felt were not fully utilized. Because, um, one of the Persona fanfics I wrote was called Golden Gay Panic. It's about a 41,000 word fic, and it's a coming out story. And for brief context on the world of the Persona franchise, all of the Persona games are based in this world where all of humanity's thoughts, our collective unconscious, basically, is it exists. It's like another world that you can go into. So all of your darkest fears all of your deepest desires, all of these things are real, tangible things that exist in another world. And people can learn to control these things, get power from them. Uh, And I saw this as this beautiful way to sort of explore how people suppress their sexuality, how our sexuality can sort of, like, change the way that we see each other and ourselves. That was not fully explored in the game's canon, I was like, I really want to get into not just, oh, I want these two characters to be gay. I really want to get into this idea of like, what impact does that have on each other? And by the time I finished writing this story, I had this sort of revelation of like, this is what I wanted to tell the younger version of myself who was still in the closet, even to himself. Like, this is a story that I wanted 16-year-old Isaac needed to hear this story. 16-year-old Isaac needed to hear the messages that I was putting out here. It was this revelation of, like, through a fan fiction of a video game, I have learned something deep and important about myself and got a level of resolution I never expected in writing fanfic. Yeah, I I could see that. Like, I was raised more, like, religious growing up. Mm-hmm. And it was a religion where it wasn't okay to be gay. I remember when I first started getting into fan fiction, like, I, I stuck with the hetero pairings because that's, that's just what I knew. Mm-hmm. I remember stumbling on one that it was very short, but it was... Surprisingly, it was a story about, it was a Yu-Gi-Oh! fanfiction, and it was a pairing, I I can't remember what this pairing is called, it might be puzzle shipping, but it's where it's like Yu-Gi 
and then Yami Yugi, and oh, they they were a couple. <laughs> yes, yeah, like Pharaoh with him, and then like little Yugi were together. And I remember reading it and thinking, this is interesting. This isn't something that I'd ever really thought about before. And then I remember like feeling like my my whole entire world had just expanded because I'm like, look at all these mm. pairings that can exist now. Like, it doesn't just have to be a man and a woman. It can be a man and a man, a man and a woman. And even these days, it can be a throuple. It can, like, for me, fan fiction opened my eyes to a different way of thinking. And that's kind of how I got more into reading, you know, slash pairings. And then really, like, thinking back, like, I always knew that there was something between Kirk and Spock, but I didn't really get it, and now I get it. And that's, like, that is my OTP. Like, Spurk is, is my thing. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting, all the different ways that you can you can broaden your horizons, and fan fiction is one of, is one of those things. <laughs> you got anything to add there, Erica? Uh, just that I think it's cool that, like, it can, it can do that. It can do what Shido was describing and, like, show you different representation that you may not have even thought about. Like, people get to focus on romantic relationships or, you know, with people who are the same gender, people who are non-binary. Like, you can have femme slash. Like, uh, it's just really nice for queer fans to get representation and visibility that's pretty much lacking in mainstream media and people can also use it as a way to like explore their identities or even like kind of talk about some of their own experiences and translate that into fanon so i just think that that's cool that it i don't i don't know that i have like an eloquent way to say it but i just think it's just a another way that like we can add diversity and inclusion and like just different lifestyles, different identities, different experiences that are ignored or underrepresented, not only in like the original canon, but based on how you may be raised in your day-to-day life. We need more things where people are gay or trans or disabled or of color or like just to be able to give, you know, talk about mental health or trauma or recovery, um, like sensitive issues. And like, again, just like, it's cool to be able to get that through fan fiction. Yeah, I think there's this common conception that's sort of correct and sort of not of fan fiction as this super obsessive, super like sexual, fetish driven, self inserty schlock. <laughs> and like in a lot of cases, that's true, but I think we're sort of ignoring mm-hmm. why that is and what's that's doing on a cultural level. And it's that people are taking a story and a world and characters that they love and finding out things about themselves in their exploration of that. And, like, as weird and as cringy and as gross as fanfiction can get, it's a space where there's so much room for exploration of yourself, of the things that matter to you, of the Mm -hmm. way you see the world, that, like... As crazy as fan fiction can be, the fact that it just allows people to sort of form their worldview and their perceptions of themselves in that way, I can't see it as, like, a negative thing. Yeah. And there's, and just like, I guess with books in general, that's one of the, that's one of the few things that don't actually have a rating system. So you could pick up a book and not know, 
obviously there are some like Harlequin books that you'll know what the content's mm-hmm. going to be like. But sometimes I'll pick up just like a young adult novel and I'll be like, oh, wow, this has, this just has something I did not expect to be in this story. I feel like a lot of times people, when they write these stories, when they put this online, like they don't have to feel constrained with what they want to write. And with some of, with some of the really good fan fiction stories that I've read, like any of the, you know, the sex or anything like that, it actually adds to the story and they're allowed to do that without, you know, having to say like, this is what it is. And then some people might not go into it because of the ratings. So I know that like fanfiction.net and stuff, they do kind of tell you what, what to expect, mm-hmm. but it's not banned. Like it's not stopped. Right. So like, I think people just like having that freedom. There, there's like this feeling of, I don't have to match something. Cause I'm never going to monetize off this, or at least there's a very, very, yep. very small chance I could ever monetize off of this. So instead of trying to match what I think is going to meet general audiences expectations, I can write whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what they say. You, when you write, you write for yourself. <laughs> and that's like, I, I honestly feel like a lot of fans, that, that is what fan fiction is. Like you're writing it for yourself, but you're like, oh, I'll share it with other people and maybe it'll be something they're into as well. I think it's also neat because, I mean, you see it with books now more, but fan fiction also kind of, like, ushered in the whole, like, hey, let's give people trigger warnings thing. Yeah. Which I feel like, I mean, it's it's wild to me because when I was first experiencing fan fiction, like, as a child, there wasn't even, like, the, are you 18 to enter? Like, it was just like, nope, nope, whatever. Doesn't matter <laughs> how adult it is, just there it is on the internet for you. Like, it could be incredibly graphic. It could be incredibly kinky. Well, like, you're you're on the internet, so there you go. But, like, it's, so it's very different from, you know, when I first, like, experienced it at a younger age. But it's also really cool because, like, there are generally things that are really upsetting to people. And that's why, like, websites like DoesTheDogDie.com exist. Mm-hmm. Like, if I'm about to see, like brutal animal murder in a horror movie I would prefer to know that's coming so it doesn't just completely throw me for a loop based on like the things that have happened to my animals in my life as a child so it's just kind of cool that it's like we can give people a heads up about stuff like that and you now kind of do see it when people will write like book reviews or like at bookstores or libraries sometimes they'll be listed and like fan fiction really kind of started that with people being like hey heads up major character death and it's like oh oh okay like now you know and it doesn't even have to be like well i'm not gonna read it now it's like i just appreciate to get my head in the correct mindset thank you <laughs> like <laughs> to know what i'm about to experience and that's just like kind of a cool thing that didn't really exist that much it, it's it's really interesting because it shows a concern from authors towards their audience beyond just people who are appraising your work or giving you fame and recognition for your work. There's like a level of care that the author is taking on their audience. It's like, it's not just, I want you to love what I've written. It's, I want to make sure that you are going to be okay with what I've written because I wrote it for me and I'm sharing it with you. And I want to make sure that I'm not going to 
hurt you with what I've made. And mm-hmm. in some ways, that's really, that, like you said, that's really great. I love that level of sort of care that it shows and this sort of community building. But it also sort of has created this standard of we have to let people know what's coming beforehand. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what makes all writing good is this sort of undermining expectations, bringing in surprise. So there now, there's now this sort of balancing act as a fan fiction writer of how much do I warn my audience about what's coming without just giving the story away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I never thought about that. Like, you read, like, a synopsis of story, whether fan fiction or a book, but you don't get trailers for it because, like, me and Erica have talked about, we we try to not watch trailers as much so, like, we can be more surprised by the movie itself. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we do that, but this is what books have done all along. Like, we've never really known what to expect in a book because there's no trailers. Nope, you just get so, a brief yeah, bit on the back, usually. Another thing that's yeah. fun that, in a way, it differs from, like, published novels is the fact that you have author's notes. Like, author's mm-hmm. notes can be so enjoyable. Like, a lot of people will talk about like their own personal history with the fandom or they'll talk about like I've I've read authors notes from like authors I like where they're like I met my wife through this fandom like yeah or they'll talk about what was going on in their life at the time or they'll be like I listened to this song while I was writing this chapter and I think the vibe is similar like oh, or I, I put together a whole playlist for you to listen to while I you listen I love when they have music recommendations <laughs> for because it just it makes it you can start envisioning what's happening in your mind. It's like, and that's where some people are like, I need to make this into a comic or art. Or some people even go so far as to animate it. And that's that's wild. If anybody ever animated something for Persona five years later, I would fucking lose my shit. (laughs) Like, I've had somebody make fan art and I've had somebody else make a spinoff of my fic. And both of those huge, immense honors. I love it. It's... Yes, literally, it's so amazing. Yeah. Yeah, the level of... There's a humanization with fanfic where you realize as you're reading it what matters to the author about this property that you... Because you go in with your own love for whatever story that they're riffing off of. You, You know what details you like, what you don't like, what matters to you in it. And then you get to see someone else's take on it. And you start to get this very real understanding of what matters to this person writing this. And sometimes, like you said, it's explicitly made in the author's notes. One thing that I've loved to do is at the end of all my longer fix, I write an afterward where I like break down like why I did this or why I did that. Uh, what happens after the events of the story just sort of breaking down my thought process as I was writing. And I've gotten good feedback on that. People are like, oh man, I love the fact that you like went into so much detail here on your thought process on making this story. I'd love to mm-hmm. see more of that. Because it makes it more of a discussion at that point. It's not just, mm-hmm. oh, you wrote a really cool story that I love. It opens it up to, oh man, that's a really cool way of looking at it. I usually look at it this way. And I've had conversations yeah. in the comments back and forth with people on that because, like, people have brought up, oh, man, I never thought of it like that. What if you did it like this? I mean, I love this. What about that? And then it becomes, like, 
a way for you to both share your love for the fandom. Yeah. And I just do love how it's like, how you can have that relationship with like your fellow fans, like how I met Shadow, or like with readers, like you can just treasure that for basically your whole life. Because there are so many comments I received, I got on my one thick, I'm not even like a serious writer, I'm not actually like even putting much effort into this. But there are so many comments like that I still remember and I still think about years later, including this one where this girl was an adult reading my story and I'm 14 and was at work and called her friend on the phone to read her line by line, like some of the chapters of my story while they both just cried laughing. And like, I don't even know these people. (laughs) And that just makes me so happy that I brought so much like pleasure to their work day and that they got to bond over it. Cause Shadow and I have basically done exactly that about, (laughs) about things before. And it's just like such a good feeling. And it's like, and I was part of that. And I don't even know you. (laughs) It's just so cool. Mm Mm-hmm. If I'm ever having a bad day, I just go back and read the comments on my fake, and I'm just like, oh, Mm -hmm. I made something people like. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I also enjoy looking at the comments that we left each other and seeing it's like, oh, yeah, that is just you. We didn't know (laughs) each other yet, but yeah, that's just you talking. Yeah. And it's so dated as well. Like, some of the, the, some of the, some of the words and like phrases I did have to say like for the win or something. I think you did. <laughs> for the win was big in that time. <laughs> oh man, I was, oh. I was like, this is so cringy. I was like, why did this girl ever message me back? This is embarrassing. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's how I feel about what I wrote. So the feeling is just mutual. Um, and it's just even the way we did emojis back then was different because yep. we didn't emojis themselves didn't exist. So you have, like, all the little kitty cat, like, keyboard shortcuts and stuff. Everything's, like, all Japanese and cute. And (laughs) what also, what was it, like, rolling on the floor laughing? I don't think either of us said that, but that one has just kind of, like, phased out of existence. Mm -hmm. LOL is still here somehow. But that one (laughs) just got taken out of the vernacular completely. (laughs) So... It's fun to be able to look back on fan fiction too. Like I'm excited for you to look back on your persona fic like down the line and when you're writing other things and be able to like reminisce and like reread it and I, I'll be honest, I've have re- that. I've reread it several times already. <laughs> I think you're insane. I know. I go back and I'm like, man, I did such a good job. Like it's rough <laughs> in some places, but this is totally the story I wanted to tell and I told mm-hmm. it. And people liked it, and uh, it it just makes me so happy to look back on it every now and then, and be like, oh yeah, I did I did something good that people liked, and I still like it. Like even with a few rereads, I've gone back and looked, and it's like, like there's some rough patches, but overall, it's a really cool mm-hmm. story that expands on the world that I was playing in, and I love it. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't be human if it didn't have some rough patches. I mean, you didn't sit down with an editor. And have somebody copywriting this. Yeah, and Erica and I actually discussed this in private. I had a fan, one of the people who had spent a lot of time, one of my earliest commenters on stuff, who came back, did a full reread of the story. So they read through this 200,000 fic twice. 
and they gave me this like full review of all the stuff they didn't lock in it. And I messaged Erica like immediately, like they broke my heart. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I ended up speaking back and forth with them on it, on you know some of their points that they made, and I kind of realized that first off, they weren't entirely. They were sort of new to the world of fanfic, so they didn't really know the etiquette of it. But also, their extended critique of it was also sort of their way of showing how much this story meant to them. Yeah. So so even though a lot of the stuff they said was negative, it was still very much like, okay, the only reason they're being negative is because I made something that mattered so much to them that they have elements they cared about that didn't work for them. I I still like that about, you know, media that I love. Like, I feel like I, at times, I'm like, uh, because I love something so much, I'm just like this, I'm like able to critique the things that I don't like about it. Mm -hmm. But it's just, yeah, it's the same. It's like, I love it so much that I can overlook these flaws. I'll mention them, but I'm, they're like, maybe, you know, down the line, this thing can be corrected. Yeah, I definitely feel like that. that is something that a big fan would do is, like, critique the work because of how much they love the idea. And they just want to make it even better. They want to help make it even better. Yeah. Writing can be such a lonely experience. All art creation can because you're spending huge stretches of time crafting something. Hours upon hours of time crafting a story or a piece of art or whatever you're making. But when you put it out there and you start getting feedback on it, it becomes such a communal experience. It it goes from being this deeply personal, deeply intimate internal process into something that is being spread out and shared and reimagined. And I just, I just love that experience. That's not just for fan fiction. That's just any creative project. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things about fan fiction too, that you don't get, like you were saying, is that interaction with the author on that content. Like you can't just message Joanne and expect a response or like anything from her. When you write fan fiction, some, like a lot of times, like when you leave a comment, even if it's just the author saying thank you, it's like, wow, like, if I did have something I wanted to say to them or a question I wanted to ask, most likely they would answer it for me. So, yeah, I feel like you get you get a lot more out of the relationship with the author through fan fiction than you do with the published work. Yeah, there's, it's just a lot more personal. Speaking mm-hmm. of personal, uh, real oh. quick, Erica, I just, just want to say I have gotten permission in the during the recording of this episode, I've gotten permission from the person who made fan art of Persona Five Years Later to use that fan art for our thumbnail for this episode. Yay! So, That's awesome. Sh- nice. Shout out to Jicklet. Jicklet is on Archive of Our Own. Uh, they have one of my commenters throughout the entirety of Persona Five Years Later. I've loved their feedback on stuff. They've got some great fix of their own on. Uh, they've got a bit of Mass Effect, uh, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. They did a couple of Persona ones as well. All really great stuff that I've read from them so far. So definitely shout out to Jicklet. Thank you for the art. It's beautiful. I love. I cried the first time they sent this to me. So like, it was so I'm so excited beautiful. to see it. Yeah. 
So that will be our thumbnail for the YouTube episode, and I'll put that in the description as well. But sorry, Eric, yeah, I'll hey, get you off. Thank you. No, just big shout out. Thank you. That's so nice of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I was going to say is I just feel like what's really cool is there are some fan fiction writers who are huge, like, um, who have, like, I mean, they have hundreds of stories. They have hundreds of thousands of comments. There was, uh, one fan fiction writer specifically who I really love. And, um, they came and did like a Q and a in one of my discord, my fan fiction discords. Mm -hmm. And they're like a huge writer because they truly have like their, their stories, have so many comments that there's no way they could ever address or even thank every single person. So getting to have them there and we got to ask them questions and I was like, Hey, like there's a tattoo in your fan fiction. Like this is a question I asked them. I was like, there's a tattoo in your fan fiction. And like, I kind of saw it like looking this way. Is that like what you're envisioning? And they were like, that's exactly what I was envisioning Erica. And I was like, yes, (laughs) like it's really cool to be able to like do that. And that's what I was thinking when, I mean, God knows a ton of authors and stuff are on Twitter now, and especially some should not be. Um, yeah. But like, it's, it's just really, <laughs> yeah. Every problem in the world is her fault. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, but um, like it's just really cool that like even like obviously writers like us where we don't have I mean I don't know Isaac's got a fair amount of attention on his stories but like I have the ability to like comment to every single person but it's cool that even people who are like larger than that like we can still interact with them we can still engage with them in a way that I'm not going to be able just to like tweet Stephen King and have it likely that he's going to see me asking about a specific tattoo somebody has right like it's just really neat that does bring up this sort of discussion because there is this sort of risk uh i think the term is big name fans when the fan writers become so famous and popular within the fandom itself they can Mm. actually sort of influence the fandom with just their own writing there does become this sort of risk though of them getting this ego about their work where they start claiming their work as canon or on par with the source material or they start stating what kind of fanfic should be written they they basically get this idea of like i'm so popular within the fandom that i can sort of move the fandom the way i want to because there have been instances of that throughout fanfic where there are like these big name fans who get so huge that they sort of start thinking oh I've got the real fan, like what I make is the real fanon, basically, like the fan canon. But it is cool still that even when you do have some people on that level, like you can still interact with them. Like you said, the fact that you can still just get in touch with this person in the way that you can't with like an author or a TV show maker or a movie, like a film director or something, you can actually connect with these people because they're still just fans making fan content. Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I, I use the word just there and I don't mean it in like a negative connotation of like what they're doing isn't real writing. That's, that's bullshit. It's the fact that they're doing it for the love of this world and these characters and these stories mm-hmm. instead of as a way to monetize and accumulate fame. And I think that's where the risk of this sort of big name fan is, is when we lose sight of why we were making these stories in the first place. It wasn't to gain fame within the fandom. It wasn't to become the biggest fan of all time. It was to share our love of this fandom with other people. And the other thing that's interesting is like, it's, 
it's also just a hobby. It's just a group of people <laughs> who are going to have conflict or who are going to have like drama or, or things like that. Um, because it's a group of people with a common hobby. Yeah. Um, just giving them a space to express themselves. And it's kind of crazy just to think about. It's like, I've seen it compared where people are like, if you look at it at the most base level, it's like basically the same as a knitting club. <laughs> You're just all hanging out and all creating something. Yeah. And it's not wrong. At the end of the day, it's just sharing something that you love with others. This is a um, small tangent. This is a small mm-hmm. tangent I want to bring up. But the commitment some people have to fanfic. Holy shit. For the longest <laughs> for the longest period of time, the longest piece of fiction in the English language was a fanfiction called The Subspace Emissary's World's Conquest. It was a fanfiction mm. of Super Smash Bros. Brawl. It was four million plus words. Longest piece of fiction in the English world. Four million words this fic was. It has been surpassed. It has been surpassed <laughs> by the Loud House revamped, which is a fan fiction of the Loud House that also crosses over with multiple other fandoms. And the last time I checked, and this was a while ago, it may be well past this point now, the Loud House revamped had 16 million words. That's really hard to wrap your head around. And people, I'm sure, like, have have read that. And it's like, how long did that take you to... Well, obviously, how long did that take you to write it? And then how long did it take these people to read it? For, like, for comparison, the entirety of the Sherlock Holmes canon, the original Sherlock Holmes stories, as written by Conan Arthur Doyle, is 600,000 words. Not even a million. 600,000. That's all of the original Sherlock Holmes. 16 million words <laughs> for a fan fiction of The Loud House, a Nickelodeon <laughs> show about a boy living in a house full of sisters. <laughs> what do you mean to talk? Like, what is it even about? Like, what is it? I is just- it- I don't know how you're even saying things and not just like reciting the alphabet or like reading the phone book or something at that point. Because what yeah. you don't know is that I struggled to NaNoWriMo to get to five, you know, 50,000 words. Sometimes it feels like you're really stretching your limit. Yeah. How did you get that far? How do you still have things to say? How do you just... I cannot hold the muse that long. Like, I love when the muse comes and it comes through, but it, it leaves eventually. This person, whatever their muse is, which is apparently the Loud House, just it has not left them. <laughs> it's just, it's mind-boggling, this level of commitment. And yes. I understand how obsessive that comes off as, but just like, the dedication to crafting a story this big, even if it's not necessarily good, even if it's got all kinds of tropes and problems and flaws, just the amount that they put out shows this level of passion that you just don't see anywhere else. <laughs> True. Fans, fans go hard for what they love. Fans be crazy. Definitely <laughs> <laughs> can. The only thing that I had on my list that we hadn't talked about is the future of fan fiction. Ooh. Because, yeah, because it is constantly evolving. 
there's always new technologies. There's always new platforms. Like I know that some trends are like it getting more interactive, more like multimedia, like visual novels are a thing. Um, like I said, pod fix have been around a while, but also like audio dramas. And then, I mean, we also have AI now. And I've read that, you know, AI is learning to generate fan fiction itself. It's it's fascinating because when we talk about fan fiction, we've talked about it here in its written format as prose that can be read. But fan fiction extends so far beyond that. There are fan comics out there that have been running for years with their own ongoing like canons that people make fan animations and movies and such that reimagine the original material or make adaptations of existing fanfic. Fanfic has changed into a multimedia expression now. It's not just prose anymore. So seeing how it moves forward in the future, how fanfic becomes... How, how fans continue to express their love of the source material in their own unique ways... In my perfect utopian future, it would be more and more freedom to do so. Fans getting the opportunity to create these stories in ways that they can even profit off of. You know, a, a relaxation of copyright law where people can craft stories and we return basically to the old days where stories were meant to be taken and changed and transformed over time. Back to the way of old myths where you know, a story isn't meant to stay the same. It's not meant to be held by one particular person or group. It's meant to be shared and changed over time. That would be my ideal future, but with how strict copyright law is and how corporatized the media has become, I don't see that happening. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I definitely don't see that probably changing anytime soon. If we were just not in fan fiction, that's kind of an aside here, but uh, we had just gone to the movies and we were looking at the Harkins Cups. Shadow Knight doesn't know what that is. I know. You need context. <laughs> I'm using context. So our movie theater, I was like, I started, I'm like, oh, I probably should, I probably should go into what a Harkins is. <laughs> so we have a movie theater here in Arizona. I'm sure it's in other states. But they would have these loyalty cups where you could bring them in and they would refill them for like cheaper than buying even a small drink. Yeah. And they used to put uh, like little images of all of the movies that were coming out that year on this cup. And one year, the very last year that they did this, they put a Disney character on that cup. And Disney sent, like, a cease and desist to them for using their image. And now Harkins can't do that with their cups anymore. They have to do, like, their own original art. Yeah. And we were just saying we loved when they used to have the loyalty cups with, like, the movies that were coming out. Because then you're like, oh, this movie's coming out. This movie's coming out this year. And so... <laughs> Harkins doesn't deserve this unfair treatment. They're so great. It's it's so sad to see corporations just miss the point of fan expression because all fan expression does is create free marketing for the properties they own so that they can profit off of it. But all they see is like, hey, they're infringing on our copyright. Shut them down. 
It's so stupid. But it looks like Monroe actually has the cup, and they have Star Wars and Gamora on it, and then I see Deadpool as well, so it looks like using these is what caused the whole debacle where they're like, no, stop making these cups. Mm. So, <laughs> and I forget that Harkins aren't everywhere. I, I guess I should look up, I wonder what state they're actually. <laughs> and it's just like our, it's an amazing movie theater here. I, I would like to know too how much, like, if it's more of a like local or regional chain, because I was just like going down a rabbit hole of the movie theater that I had as a child, which was called Movico. And Movico was a local chain that existed and was then, uh, it was like big in Florida. And then it was bought out by Cinemark which was then bought out by AMC. <laughs> so it's just kind of, I just think the the fact that like these, I mean, I guess AMC is probably just going to own everything at some point. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I just think it's interesting the way that that's all evolved. And they're going to start charging more for better seats. Yeah. Too. Well, theaters that's are going to anyway, so. <laughs> yeah. But then um, where will you go dressed as Mario? That's true. Oh, <laughs> I really hope the little theater that we saw the Mario movie in doesn't get caught up in any of that bullshit, because they had a bunch of handmade stuff for decorations for the Mario movie. So cute. They had, like, little, like, fire flowers made out of paper plates and construction paper that they had signed, like, up on the walls and everything. It was so cute. They had so much heart. I love that they do that. They, like legitimately were so excited about Mario. It shows so much more commitment and passion than the, just, like, putting up a copyrighted official licensed poster or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's so much more passion when fans are actually allowed to create the stuff that they love and add to it and make their own twists on it. Like, that's just so much more passion than just some intern putting together images from the films and TV shows and whatnot and being like, look here, here's the marketing, here's what we got. <laughs> yeah. So I really wanted to see it there. I'm glad you enjoyed it because it's so wholesome. Yeah. Uh, so not very good looks for the future for fanfic. I'm <laughs> all sort of believing it's kind of bleak. Until- I'd like yeah. to see what fanfiction AI would write because Shadow and I absolutely love that AI generated like Harry Potter chapter yes. that was pretty popular a while back. Um, what they so gave good. AI. Yeah, they gave an AI a bunch of Harry Potter to read, and what it put together was highly ridiculous and made no sense and was so enjoyable. I worry about AI in terms of art and creativity for a lot of original creations, but in terms of fanfic, where it's already so much this space of play, where it's not for profit or for gain, it's for playing with these properties, AI is a fantastic tool. Because now it's like you can just throw in prompts for these ideas and just make these weird-ass stories. Because we were going to just make weird-ass stories with them anyway that we were never going to profit off of. And if it's not like a great piece of fiction, that's fine. Most of the fan fiction out there isn't great literature. That's not the point. The point isn't for it to be great literature. It's for us to express ourselves and play with the things that we love. Yeah, well said. That being said, AI art sucks ass because all it does is steal from artists and then pretend mm-hmm. that it's original. Yep. Oh, me and Erica had a whole discussion about that we the did. other day. <laughs> yeah. 
That has created this weird psychological thing where I feel like I'm trying to figure out which person is a fae. Like, count the fingers! Watch the eyes! Like, you can see it in their form! They're not quite human! It's just... (laughs) I'll be interesting to see what's ahead, that's for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other big points on fan fiction before we sort of wrap up here? No, and I didn't even have the, like, forethought to, like, think of any wrecks or anything like you smart guys maybe did. If we've discussed everything, um, I do, yeah, like I said, I do have a couple wrecks that, uh, that I could give. Absolutely. Um, um, some of my favorite stories. I wrote down the title and the author, so it'd be a little bit easier to find. Mm-hmm. One of my absolute favorite spurt stories uh, it's Veritas by The Problematic. Um, yes, it's so good. Me and Erica both read this one. It's just, like, so well-written. It's it's nice and long, and it's a slow burn. So it does take a little bit of time before, you know, any twerk stuff happens. That one is super good. And then it's I tried to do, like, a couple too. Like, it's amazing. It yeah, it's, yeah, definitely. Really, I don't know if it's on AO3. I was looking, most of the stuff I save is on fanfiction.net, so this is on there. It could possibly be on AO3 as well. Mm-hmm. I have a John Locke fic uh, that I absolutely love uh, called The Heart in the Hole by Verity Burns. She was one of those authors that we just discussed where she has like a, it's not a playlist, but the song that she listened to a lot while writing this, but it was a slowed down version of Crazy by Niles Barkley. I swear the, the, the other version, the guy's name's like Jake something, but Jake Owens maybe. But, uh, she actually also did a audio, this story. So you can read it or you can download her narrating her own story and she includes the music in it oh that's awesome yeah so i really like this story because you can read it any way you want Mm -hmm. and then because we talked about how the first pick i ever stumbled upon was uh was Yu-Gi-Oh. i actually have a wreck for that and it's uh it's catnip dreams by kamiyashi and this one is uh, Pride Shipping, so it's uh, Seto Kaiba and Yami Yuki, or Pharaoh it's him, however you prefer to call him. But yeah, those are my, my three wrecks that I had. Awesome. I already mentioned if you're looking for some information about the history of fanfic and the way it sort of changed and Jameson's why fanfiction is taking over the world, actual fanfic recommendations... Uh, a huge influence on Mass Affection when I was writing it was Wings of Fire by, and I'm sure I'm going to get this name right because the internet handles are weird, Bahuga's Myth on fanfiction.net. Wings of Fire is what it was called. It was a Shepherd Tally fic, all set in like the end of like Mass Effect 3, like basically a retcon where Shepherd lives. Just like Mass Affection was. Because <laughs> basically, I feel like all of the Mass Effect fics were like, hey, we didn't like the ending. What if Shepard lived? <laughs> Let's give them a happy ever after. <laughs> like, that feels like what all the Mass Effect fiction was. Um, but that's a really good one. Really great interactions between Shepard and Tally there. Like, they really understand the character of Tally, especially. I mentioned Jicklet earlier. I'm going to shout out one of their particular fics. My personal favorite from them is called Branching Paths. 
what I really love with fanfics are ones that take particular moments from these series and expand them into something more that like digs a little deeper into characters and whatnot. And this one does a great job of digging into two characters in particular in a way that can be read as romantic or maybe just very personal platonic, like two people really learning more about each other. And the fact that it sort of manages to do that line of maybe it's platonic, maybe it's romantic, in something that's usually as heavy-handed as fanfic is really impressive to me. So that's Branching Paths by Jicklet, and that's a Persona 5 fanfic. And I guess that's probably it. There's a lot of fanfic I could... Oh, I'll shout out my person who started writing fanfiction based on mine. Uh, Pure Fiction wrote a fic called Persona Unity that's still ongoing. As of now, it's at 68,000 words. Way to go, Pure Fiction. They basically continued the story as if it were a sequel to the games, because each game in the Persona franchise like follows an entirely new cast, and they're basically like, hey, that last story, I'm treating it as if it was a game canon, and now we're moving on to the next one. And that's like really cool that they just added all of my elements into the larger game canon. Awesome. I was going to say to Erica, um, I don't know if you have the name or author of this, mm-hmm. but... This was a fic that you recommended to me that I I would say that we could recommend. It's the, it's, <laughs> it's the dreary fic where I think it's Draco gets, like, the moving tattoo. And this is set, like, after the war. Oh, and nice. Okay. Yes. Is, is this familiar? <laughs> it is. Yeah. So that is... Um, the, his arm is scarred also, right? Because he... I believe so, yes. Yeah. God, that one's so good. Um, that one is called All Our Secrets Laid Bare. Yes, that one. Fire the Sound. Um, and Fire the Sound is, like, a really talented writer who has, like, almost 50 Harry Potter fanfictions of, like, lots of different pairings. So I would recommend them just in general. But yeah, she, that's a that's oof, it's tip top. And now one hundred fifty thousand words that story. Now that we're at the end, I'm gonna plug myself. Uh, if you want to read any, I'm of waiting my for stuff, it. Yes. If you want to read any yeah. of my stuff, I am fantastic fanatic on archive of our own. Uh, the big one that I've done was Persona Five Years Later. Uh, I'm really deep. <laughs> into the Persona franchise. (laughs) I've tried moving away from it and writing, you know, more original work or even into other fandoms, but good lord, this muse has got its grip on me. I'm current... I've written a couple other smaller fics, all of them taking place in this sort of fan universe that I've created that's sort of a continuation of the story. And, like, yeah, it's still ongoing, and I've got this big plan lined up that could take me another five years to finish if I don't get my ass in gear. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I love writing it. I love getting feedback. So if you're interested, if you're a fan of Persona, specifically five, but I'm digging into the entire franchise at this point, uh, give, it a, give it a look. Give it a read. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of Persona five years later. I'm, I'm really proud of pretty much everything I've put up. There's some stuff that I know is rough, but I love doing this and I love getting to share this stuff with people. 
You should be proud of it because it's a labor of love and people really enjoy, I mean, people who have played the Persona games and who are not me. <laughs> I, I like hearing about it and I don't even understand. You have been uh, incredibly supportive and I appreciate it and it breaks my heart that you'll never read this story. <laughs> and it's fine. Oh my God. We didn't even touch on this. Mm-hmm. I have written smut... And that yeah. is such a weird experience. Oh, that's, yeah, we didn't talk about you doing that. That's true. Like, it's one thing to read smut. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to read even fan fiction smut. But, like, to write it, to take these pre-established characters, which in most contexts are usually not very sexualized, or if they are sexualized, it's in a way that can steal a pill to, like, general audiences... And just go full on explicit with them is such a wild. <laughs> it's so wild. I did it in Mass Affection, and I like. Uh, it took me. I have more trouble writing a sex scene than anything else because you have to work so hard to make the scene actually function and not be complete garbage. <laughs> it is so much harder to gain investment in a sex scene because if you do it bad, you look at it and you're like, oof, that's bad. It, the worst part is anytime I write a sex scene, I like sit down and I have like 50 tabs open of like, okay, what is sex like <laughs> I, have to rem- I have to remind myself like I, I've done this but I need the specific how do I put the experience into writing in a way that, how do you make those exper- that experience into words it's so weird of an experience to try and craft that story I've done it a few times in Persona I've got now three different chapters of it and I like all of them. They all do some interesting things with like sexual exploration in ways that I feel like are both hot and sort of, you know, fun for the characters. But like, it's just it's weird to get into that mind space of like, I'm gonna make something horny. (laughs) (laughs) That is such a like, I don't even know if I would necessarily say I like it. It's just I do enjoy it, or I wouldn't have kept doing it, but it's it's such a weird headspace to be in as a rotter. And you really have to set the tone correctly. Yes. Yes, I, I didn't get to any of that in my actual, like, published stories they mm-hmm. I think they were all like definitely uh, low rated so I never wrote that for anyone to read but I have wrote it just never published it yeah. so it's a little more scary when you're actually putting it out there for other people to to review it certainly takes a level of boldness to put it out there and like I, I, there was a long period of hesitation where I'm like I can't do this and now finally Erica was <laughs> loving mass affection I'm like fuck it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and people liked it like I, I stopped mass affection because I couldn't keep going with the story like it had a genuine following and I feel bad for dropping it but that's that's just how fan fiction works people drop fan it is you get you gave them the most important thing that they wanted. I gave them the sex so. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really funny because I've done this like in books and stuff that I've written. And there was a part in my most recent book that I wrote where two of my characters 
had to be sexting each other. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, this is so weird to have to do. Like, they need to do it and they want to do it, but I have to help them. Like, yes. I'm not making them do it. They're doing it, but I have to help them because they can't do it themselves. You as author <laughs> often have this weird headspace between I have to craft something in the way that I'm thinking on technical levels, but at the same time, I have to be invested enough emotionally to actually tell if what I'm writing is saucy or not. (laughs) Unbelievable. Yeah, because, like, if you get too technical with it, then you step back and you're like, oh, this isn't human. This isn't human at all. (laughs) But if you get too invested into it, you're like, I feel kind of gross putting this down for other people to look at. (laughs) But yeah, that's just a weird little last tidbit I wanted to throw in there. Having, having written smut for fanfic, it's, it's a unique experience. <laughs> I will say, definitely a great exercise if you are looking for practice in learning to do physical description of any kind. Because all of the different ways that you have to talk about sex, you have to find ways to vary it up where it's not just the same old thing over and over and over. And also meet a certain tone. And that is, like, like I feel like physical description and the sort of feelings that go along with it are at its most prominent in sex scenes, and it's a great exercise for that. I think it actually, I think it is. Like, I remember reading this story this one time, and the author had an author's note, um, and they were, like, saying, like, there was a, there was a description in the story, and it was a Harry Potter fan fiction, of course, because it's me. Um, and the person had a scene where Ginny Weasley was showering. It wasn't, like, a sexy scene or anything. It was just part of the story that she was just showering. And, like, Harry, like, glances over at her because they live together. And she was like, it's wild how I don't ever really describe the female body. Mm-hmm. And I had to really put myself in the headspace of, like, what is this like in a non-sexual, I'm just like, oh, yeah, hey, she's there, like, nice kind of way. And just, like, yeah, you get described and they're like, this is just like outside my comfort zone because I don't normally write that. I don't normally write character descriptions of somebody taking a shower. You know what's wild is that I'm a cis man and three of the four sex scenes I've written have been from a female perspective. Mm-hmm. And they were like pretty well done too is what's interesting. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. But yeah, it's just... Very interesting. It's a weird headspace to get into like rotten's wild just in general just the experience of (laughs) crafting entire worlds and scenarios it is a very unique experience and i I recommend anybody try creative writing fan fiction is a great place to just try your hand of creative writing if you've never done it before Because you've got all the tropes just laid out there for you. Use them like toys. Uh, There there was like a post that I saw about that, like not even just specifically writing in general, but doing things even if you're not good at them. Yes. Because we're not not made to monetize, to have monetary gain off of everything we do. Like, so you don't draw well, who cares? Like, if you want to draw, draw. 
Like, if you don't think you yeah. write well, well, who cares? If you want to write, then just write. Like, why can't you just get pleasure from this, from creating something, even if you don't feel like it's, you know, in your wheelhouse? <laughs> there is this conflation mm-hmm. of creativity with productivity that sucks in the modern age because you don't need to be productive with your creation. It doesn't need to be something that's going to make you money or make you famous or anything like that. All creativity is for is getting something inside of you out that helps you mm-hmm. to understand it better and to share a piece of yourself with others. And one thing I think is interesting, um, I just finished reading a book yesterday, and at the end of the book, the author was saying how she loves being a writer because she gets to live so many lives. And I feel like we probably often think that, especially with that George R. R. Martin quote, like we often think that for readers, that they get to live so many lives. But writers do as well, and especially writers of fan fiction, especially if you write across fandoms, you get to live and experience um, so many different things, which is really cool. Absolutely. Because, like, a crime writer may just write true crime or mysteries. Like, it's, like, with fandom, you can really be, like, I'm here, I'm a wizard. I'm here, I'm the whole. And yeah. now here I am in Persona, and now I'm in Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's just really cool. Mm-hmm. And there's certain worlds... We didn't really get into this discussion either... Sometimes it's not so much the characters or even the narratives, but the worlds themselves that people just want to inhabit. Like, I feel like a big draw mm-hmm. with Harry Potter is just this world of a wizarding school. Yeah, going to school yeah. for magic. That's what draws so many people in. They A lot of people don't like Harry Potter for the characters or the story of, like, a good versus evil. They're in it because, oh, man, imagine going to school and flying on brooms and doing all this cool stuff. What house are you in? Things like that. Mm. Same, I think, with, like, Pokemon. A lot of people don't really give a crap about the characters from Pokemon mm. or any of the stories told in Pokemon, but, like, the idea of going into this world with all these different creatures and, like, what would you do with them? Would you become a trainer and try and, like, become, like, the best trainer? Or would you do something, like, more domestic? Like, run a little Pokemon yeah. cafe or something? Your little copy <laughs> AU with Pokemon? <laughs> like... Yeah, to, to live in a society where it's, like, socially acceptable and legal that, like, on your 10th birthday, you just set out alone. And survive off dog like, fighting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah. All these crazy different uh, worlds that people have made up, people just want to inhabit them for a while. And that's what fan fiction lets you do. It lets you inhabit those worlds and explore corners that you don't get to in the canon. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to have a million more points come up as I try and go to sleep tonight. But, like, <laughs> at the moment, I'm starting to feel tapped out on the discussion. Do you all have any final thoughts that you want to throw out there? Uh, no, I don't think so. Just that it was a real pleasure to talk with you guys about this. It was really fun. I was really looking forward to it. And, yeah. like, I really loved uh, getting a refresher for, some, you know, some of the stuff I knew for you, Isaac, some of the stuff I knew for you, Shadow. But, like, combining all of our things together and talking about the impact and the breadth of fan fiction are just really fun. Not everybody gets fan fiction, and I just think it's really cool. Yeah, and it's just, I... I think me and Erica will talk about this, maybe even past our our depths as ghosts or whatever, about <laughs> how 
without you know without fan fiction i highly doubt we would have ever crossed paths and so it's just so near and dear to my heart because without fan fiction i wouldn't have met erica i wouldn't have met you isaac and it's just i just really appreciate it for everything that it is but the fact that yeah, I made one of my best friends off of fan fiction, so it's yeah, it's very very dear to me. It lets people connect, and that's a beautiful mm-hmm. thing, no matter what form it takes. Uh, yeah, thank you both so much for joining mm-hmm. me for this episode. I've had a great time discussing this with you, and thank you, lovely listeners, for joining us. If you enjoyed the episode, share it with your friends, drop a like or a rating. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We barely use them for anything but to advertise the show. But if you want to follow us, we're at Tongue and Geek, all one word. Thank you for listening, and remember, don't throw your baby in the trash. Mm-hmm.